This is a presentation by Heritage 21, and I've got a couple slides here. I'm going to introduce some people in just a second. Uh, but the, the title is Five uh, Vital Questions for Declining Churches. And I, I, I want to thank you for coming. You know, I believe that we're saved by faith through grace. Amen. that taught, and there's nothing I can do to earn my salvation. However, if you're coming to a class at 2 o'clock on Friday afternoon on declining churches, asking five vital questions that sounds like life and death questions, you got to get something, I think. I mean, I was in Jovan's session this morning. He talked about uh, indulgences and there weren't a good thing. I think you get like a spiritual gift card or something. For doing <laughs> Especially in such a roomy situation. You know? So thanks, thanks again for coming. Um, Let's go to, uh, you know, just the slide, what is it? You know, the name, and there's a slide beyond this, yeah. The, the name Heritage 21 is from the desire to honor the great heritage of our churches for the past 200 years and to invest in new kingdom efforts to produce disciples for the 21st century. So the heritage is sort of like our past that uh, we have we, are, we have a, a debt to and a legacy to, but then the 21 is looking forward to the future so that others will have a similar, similar legacy. And so why, why did we form this H21? What got this started? And uh, I think Stan and Scott, uh, I'll introduce you in a second, they uh, were working on uh, you know, church plantings and doing a lot of research as to why church, we needed to plant churches and what was going on. And 50 to 100 churches of Christ are closing their doors each year with little thought on how they're going to preserve their legacy. It's, a, it's, a, it's an unplanned airplane crash, really. And, and it, it, there's a lot of emotions that go with that and why that happens and denial and all that, but it's like life and death cycles of our own lives. At some point, you know, we've, we've done what we can do and it's, our life will come to an end. But these churches have resources, financial resources, to support the planting of new churches in the kingdom. And, um, you know, the resource, one of the biggest, if not the biggest resource on what we've done, because uh, we've, we've used church buildings, we use them effectively to evangelize our neighborhoods and, our, and beyond, but those often have substantial value but they're not being utilized anymore. And so there's an opportunity, and often, if not most times, the churches are debt-free to repurpose those assets. Um, so who are the people, who, who are these guys doing this? Um, Mark Wallace and Blair Bryan, we're the two real estate sort of guys, basically. We have church backgrounds, we both serve as elders and, and know that context, but we, there's, we have that background, and then Michael Neal is here, uh, former president of Oklahoma Christian and involved in many ministries. Scott Lambert, let's start talking right now, right? Former Kairos member, and then Stan Granberg, who's with Kairos Church Planning. That's the board, the current board of trustees. And then in addition to that, uh, we have two categories of People and by the way, there's there's no paid staff positions. This just is volunteer. So, um, and including these people, we have a group of ambassadors 
um, about 35 of those people who are leaders in churches all over the U.S., and we've asked them to help get the word out and identify. People say, well, who's this H-21 people? I hear they're trying to steal church buildings or whatever rumor. <laughs> you know, or, or what are they doing? Is that good? Is that, and so that they can say, well, here's what they're doing and what they're trying to do and introduce them, us also, to churches that they know in their network who like, that church really ought to talk to these people. They have an opportunity to do really do big things in the kingdom at a time when they think they can't, they're discouraged and maybe they think they can't do anything for the kingdom. And then consultants who uh, would be maybe a little more specialized who could step in and part of our process is meeting with churches and, and walking them through a spiritual process. Where are they in their life? Is there a chance they can reboot? Or are they really practically just a few years away from maybe even these valuable assets they have becoming used no longer and maybe even falling into the wrong hands because of proper precautions legally haven't been done. So and so they they would have specific either to to uh, counsel the church and some churches will call and say we've got some real estate that we want to sell and we want to do some things but we don't know how to do that and we can you know, there might be some counselors in that part of the country that can help them with that. So, um, I think we got one more slide here. Um, yeah, so where can you find a little more information? We've got a website, heritage21.org. And then I believe, Stan, you've already passed some of these little brochures that uh, you can get this information on the website too, but that's a good source of uh, just giving you some information and maybe pass that along to someone. So Scott's going to say, oh, yeah, you're, you're next. Well, no, I'm up. Right, Stan, is that right? Okay. That's right. Um, and, and we're going to hold that slide right there for a second. Uh, my name is Scott Lambert, and what's kind of fun is I know almost everybody in the room. It's a real tremendous delight. Um, yeah, Stan, it was five years, six years ago that we began to think through um, kind of our, where are we in our fellowship? We were in the church, Kairos church planting world, uh, starting new things, and the conversations we had often kind of were the full life scale uh, of um, church life from embryonic beginnings all the way to, you know, the question of do we survive, what do we do? And we began to think, how could we help and serve churches? How could we have good conversation in that whole life cycle, right? And um, we started this thing called Heritage 21. And like Mark said, the name came. A, a friend of ours said, hey, I've thought about this name, Heritage, because it's honoring the, 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 the people who often have given their life and a lot of their assets and their legacy to not just for assets, but for, not, not just for a building, but for the, what a church represents, right? Heritage, 21 for the 21st century as we move forward. So we kind of tooled around and, and uh, found these great partners to help us start this board. But it's not just this board, it's ambassadors, and we're going try to try to grow some of these things. So let's talk for a minute. Hey, hey, Mark, go back one slide. Go back one slide. I want to hide all that for you just a second. Okay. Um, you kind of have to know the angst that we have in this conversation, right? Does it, I've said this a few times, I'm sorry some of you heard me say, but does this kind of sound like a, 
calling Brother Kevorkian to come in for suicide, right? You know, hey, where do we, you know. I, I, that has really bothered us. And in our early days, we, we said, this has to be a service. This has to be, this has to be kingdom driven. And so hopefully our name appeals to that too. But hopefully what we're doing appeals to that. What, I mean, right? I don't like this conversation at one level. Now, let's go, let's go somewhere and be, can you join me in being fully unemotional for a little bit? Be unemotional. Because I'm going to come back to emotion here in a minute. Okay. Um, churches live in America. Uh, if you're looking for a good book to read, Legacy Churches. Stephen Gray comes from a Baptist perspective, but it's written for the larger stream of American Protestantism. Stephen Gray, Legacy Churches. Their research indicates that churches in America live 60 to 100 years. Okay? Period. There it is. It's about as long as I hope to live. Yeah, I don't want to live more than 100. So there you go. I'm in that range too, right? Kind of the nature of nature of the beast. Research. Um, fact number two: all things have growth processes and life life cycles, right? So those are facts, right? That's unemotional. I hope that's unemotional. That's pretty good, except when you talk about my church. The Red Line Church of Christ in Red Line, Iowa. My two great-grandmothers that I knew. Grandma Maggie and Grandma Aggie. How's that? <laughs> yeah, they, uh, they were 94 when they died. You know, and they were the charter members of the Red Line <coughs> Church of Christ. Ten miles from any town. Way, and in the 1870s, it was a church plant uh, born of the homesteading movement that was moving after the Civil War, you know, the homesteading movement kind of began to go across the upper Midwest. And it was exciting. And crazy people moved out of their cities to go out and homestead 80 acres. And this entrepreneurial guy named Jesse Hahn uh, started a Sunday gathering among all these unchurched people. Because if you were churched, fine members of the community, you weren't leaving to go to Iowa. You weren't leaving St. Louis or Indianapolis, or, right? And he found a way to start something new. And I, actually, I'm pretty proud. 145 years for a country church. But they're down to 15 people. You know, and it's, it's I think all but four of the members are over 80. So if uh, you want to get emotional, we can talk about our church. Right? That's why we kind of hold twin things in our hands in, in this kind of conversation. The excitement of life. Let's go. And... The reality of this conversation. Mark, now you can put that up there. Because um, congregational decision making is bound by emotion and conflict. It just did. We are in the stage of, I think in our history we worked with maybe 15 churches. That's probably about right, I would think. And we're beginning to see that this is a very true statement. Uh, when you get to a certain size, sometimes the leadership structure is such that it gets very conflict-oriented, and of course it's bound by emotion. I uh, heard a story this morning, church in a conflict. Someone brought up this idea, and, and, and of course the person who has a lot of credibility said, well, we're not going to talk about that period. Mm -hmm. And everybody else wanted to talk about what's our future. 
You see the conflict that begins to come? <clears throat> the hope is that some of the congregations we talk to and work with can be revived to start growing again. That is important. So let's say, let me be very clear. When we started Heritage 21, we believe that this is a diagnostic tool to help churches decide what they need to do. Because no one can come in and tell you what to do, at least in the Church of Christ. You know, there are days it might be good to be a Baptist or an Episcopalian or something where they walk in and say, you're done. But that's not us, right? You know, I mean, that, that's the beauty of our fellowship, that we make our decisions here. So Heritage 21 lives in these two tensions. The hope is that some of the congregations could be revived to start growing again. Now research, back to if I could be unemotional again, Tom Rainer, I blanked on the book. Tom Rainer, there you go, the great researcher. Uh, he and Barna are the two primary researchers in American church life. Say that only 5% or 1 out of 20 churches that plateau for a certain period of time and at a certain level ever come back again. We'll talk about that in a minute. But who's going to tell? I mean, you need to decide that, or that church needs to decide that. So we live in these two tensions. And um, we, we work to be very aware and dedicated to the emotion of conflict in every situation. We work to be very aware that there needs to be an assessment period with metrics and benchmarks and conversations to see if a congregation really could be revived. And it's important to be a little unemotional about this because everyone thinks their congregation could be revived. Let's keep doing the same things we've been doing, just a little better. It's kind of often the recipe that you hear. So this has to have some beautiful outside connectivity to it. And then finally, a large uh, evidence shows that the large majority have reached the end of their natural life cycle and will eventually close their doors. Those are the three things that we work with in our desire to work with churches in Heritage 21. This is a life cycle. And this is not just churches. This is all of us, right? <laughs> uh, you know, I don't, maybe I lived 100. I don't think so. Uh, this is just kind of the nature of the beast here, you know. So Mark, put a couple of those up there, and we'll just talk <coughs> these through as we go. Well, in terms of a church, you understand that these early days are fun. By the way, after a couple years, if, if it's not off the ground, if they've not found a way to reach their community and be evangelistic and stuff, we don't hear about them anymore. So that was an experiment, right? But if you find your ways at evangelism and reaching and connecting with people, a church begins to grow. They found the methods for evangelism in that era. That's probably uh, one of the factors that's important. A lot of the churches of Christ that are in this stage right now found their evangelistic steam in a more absolutist era where people were measuring their lives against biblical principles, and we came in and talked to them and talked about what to do. So that's changed, right? That's a, that's, we're, we're in a less absolutist world. But churches still take off, and they grow, and they kind of get a little muscular. You know, they think, we're real. And they get to this stage where they are... They are now mature, and so we have lived, of course, in a great era of great maturity among so many churches. And I'm not going to name any names, but I've been in Southern California for 30, 35 years. You know, and when I moved to Southern California, a lot of the churches that had muscle to them were in this particular stage of their life. It was delightful. I loved it, every bit of it. Of course, you know a bell curve. You know how it goes here. So we want to put four things to this that 
that we kind of see as options, and this is what Heritage 21 will help people work through. Where, where do we go? What, what do we kind of do here? Life cycle. Well, of course, number one is renewal. And the best renewal has to take place at this point, right? You know, for the most part. I shouldn't ask a leading question. The best renewal usually takes place up here in this part. When you say, okay, we've had that phase. Let's go. What's next? And it almost always has to be the what next question. Usually, let's keep doing what we're doing only a little better. doesn't work. Because the years change, the times change, questions change, cultures change, people change, neighborhoods change, right? And again, often the methods that happened in the growth startup page uh, phase here with evangelism don't work, you know, 40 years, two generations in. That's why it's, that is why it's a challenge for churches to Well, number two, there is a restart part here. Um, we don't see this much yet in our fellowship. Uh, Baptists have done it pretty well. You ever been in a town where you've gone by a church that says, under new management? Yeah. Well, that means the central group came in and said, okay, we're done. And uh, we're going to take a year. We're going to re reboot. We're going to re redo new leadership. You know, that's a restart. So that often happens in, in these phases. Uh, it happens easier in a centralized movement, which is not us. Number three is... Um, Number three, Mark, is that one up there? Where'd it go? Yeah, the turnaround. And this one is hard, too. It, it, it's a little different from renewal. It's, it's a turnaround, you know. And, and again, this one is a restart, man, under new management. This was a turnaround. And then number four, and that happens probably more often than not in those last days with the bell curve, it's closing. So I'm getting ready to turn it over here to my brother's. I just wanted to give you, a, go back one more, Mark. I just want to give you that picture. I know there's a couple Sorry. of pictures being taken here. I think that is a life cycle of humanity, or the life cycle of living things, and then the life cycle of churches. Let me just, got one more, one more word here. Um, it's so easy to talk about this with statistics and numbers, and uh, it's not easy to talk about it when you're talking about our churches, right? Mm -hmm. My church and my place. So it's with humility and tremendous amount of grace and empathy uh, for ourselves. Here it is. We're not really talking much about churches that came out in the... We're talking about right now the churches that started in the 1950s. We're not very worried about the churches from the 1450s, are we? Because we can't remember those. So I understand the emotion and uh, the peace that comes with this. So it's our dream and desire to be helpful to churches and to be uh, reinvestors in the kingdom and help people transition well. Mike, uh, Stanton. Yep. <clears throat> a time, a season, living seasons. We happen to live in a season of time that there have been very few generations who have been gifted to live in the type of the season of time that we have. That the last generation that got to do that was when uh, Gutenberg started that little invention called the printing press. <laughs> because we went from story to book. Now we live in the internet world where we go from book to creation. Uh, I mean, the internet is amazing. And it is changing the very function of humanity. We get to live in the seam of that. 
That makes it very hard for me who is a BC person living in an AC world. Before computers is when I was born. Mm -hmm. And after computers is where we're living. Mm -hmm. And see, most of our churches are in that too. We're BC churches because most of our existing churches were planted before computers, right? But now we're living in a world where I, the secret is that there are no more BC people being made. They're all AC people. So there's a time and a season that we're, that we're living in here. Okay, Mark. So as churches have, have this property, I want to tell you a story. This happened very early as we started Kairos to help our fellowship do what it's done several times very successfully in the past, which is plant thousands of churches. Thousands of churches. But we hit a, a long stage where we quit doing that. In fact, we, Scott and I were, were at uh, one of our training labs in Nashville, Tennessee one time. We had about 70 people in this lab talking about how new churches get started and I made the statement it's not rocket science and I got this one table in the back started laughing I found out it break they were actually NASA rocket scientists <laughs> but a, a church has, has these lands and property there was a church very on as we were starting Kairos they asked us to come in and say we, we think we'd want to, uh, to restart to, to reboot that we didn't know what the terminology was uh, but they'd already sold their building for $1.4 million. They'd already sold it. So that decision was passed. But they said, what do we do now? They were about 80 people. And we saw a tremendous vitality there. We thought, this is going to be great. But for some reason, we couldn't find any handles with them. And we didn't have any tools at that point really yet to, to work with them. Two years later... Uh, they had no money left. One, they'd blown through $1.4 million. They had started some water wells in Africa. That's a good thing. They had contributed to the uh, development of some AIDS vaccine through general you know, giving to the AIDS Foundation. That, that's good stuff. They had decided to move somewhere, rent a place, hired a preacher and a song leader to come in. And that's Good, except for two years later, there was no one left, and there was no money left, and it was a big black hole in the ground. There's no legacy left to that church. And I drive by that signpost on the freeway every, you know, maybe three times a year, and never, never do I drive by without thinking, what if they had made some other choices? What if they had made some choice to repurpose what God had gifted them with so deeply and put that forward into something that would have brought new people into the kingdom of God instead of a black hole? And that's what we don't want you to do. So we want to give you a process to help you make your own decision. We say as we work with churches, our job is to help you make the best decision possible for you. That's, that's our, our only desires, to make the best decision possible for you. And so we have some tools and some processes that we, uh, we have found very helpful to help bring in so that it helps you see. And it's kind of neat when you start with some blank walls like this on Friday, and by Saturday we have papers all over there. And, and people go by and look and say, man, this is our church, and this is us, and here's what God's been doing, here's where we are. 
And so we don't come in with the plan to say that you have to do this, this, this. We come in and say, how do we help you with that? that that's our goal. Okay, Mark. Next one. So where's the congregation in the, in the life cycle? Scott talked about that well. Um, the funny thing is when churches get into that time of life, uh, it's very hard to recognize the reality of where we're at because the emotions are so deep. And it's the same thing as we care for our own family members as they come to the time of end of their life. Oftentimes they just can't really recognize it. And so the, the ability to self-recognize where we are is such a critical piece. And, and we need to learn to practice that. So we'll look at life cycle, okay? Go in here. And uh, what are some steps to take? We'll help you, as Scott said, put some metrics down and, and decide how do we actually do this? One of the churches we worked with, uh, we decided to, uh, that they had had three baptisms in the previous 18 months. What if in the next year they had six baptisms? What if instead of an average on Sunday that they have uh, 49, what if they had 75? And those were their metrics that they came up with. I thought those are good metrics. In a year time, they have six baptisms and 75 people average at their worship. This is good. It just happened in the middle of it, they figured out we can't do, not only can we can't do this, there are a lot of us who can't be in the same room with each other because we have now become toxic in our relationships. And, and they made a great decision. They said, we're gonna close, they made a great decision. And so, but as we do this, we get to share stories with you. I was sharing with a, a church that right now is in all of this consideration process. What do they do and how are they going to do that? And I just shared with them Southwest Church of Christ, where I go, which is a thousand-member church. Every Sunday, there's a thousand <coughs> people gathered together. We have 15 people on staff to meet in our staff meetings. I mean, all appearances, this is a great dynamic church, and it is. But when we got there four years ago, never in any of the staff meetings were they sharing any stories about what was happening in people's lives. Mm. Now, we were praying for people, but we weren't sharing stories. There was a, a woman named Mitzi who was the administrative assistant of our team, youth ministers. That was her role. Retired, now I'm an administrative assistant, send emails out on behalf of our, our youth workers. And she said, I can't talk to anyone about Jesus. I just can't do that. But we started changing the culture and telling stories, and pretty soon stories began to become part of our normal staff meetings. In the last two years, Mitzi has baptized or helped baptize 62 women in the women's jail. Wow. Sixty-two! She still doesn't know if she can do it. <laughs> but she is just full of the stories that's changed our culture. And those are the things that we, we just get to share with churches. So we're not just coming in with dry bone type things. We're coming in with life to help you see there can be a new sense of life. And if God leads us, we are delighted to have that. That is success. But unfortunately, the thing that got us there is the thing that's going to keep us there. And so whatever it was that got us to that point in time is probably the thing that's going to keep us there. And that's why only 5% are really ever able to make that significant change. 
but we're, if, if a church wants to try renewal, we'll, we'll, we'll help you try to, to do that. But we'll also say, when is the point when you have to come to the reality that says we cannot do this, and now we need to repurpose and to let that money flow forward into the future. And it's, it's a good process. I'll, I'll tell you this, that my wife and I and the churches that we've gotten a chance to work with, we, we absolutely fall in love with those people. They become our people. And we just dearly get to know them. We are working with the church uh, right now that in its past, in its heyday, it was one of our central churches in our fellowship. I mean, it was, it was a named church, so to speak. Uh, it has been a long time since they've had 200 people. And Easter Sunday, they had just over 200 people at Easter Sunday. Man, that was a victory. They haven't had that at least in eight years, but this Easter Sunday had 200 people. So we're, we're, really, we're really praying to the Lord that that church is going to be one of the 5% breakers mm -hmm. and that they'll make their way through this. And isn't that a great story? Yes. Isn't that a wonderful story? But isn't it also a wonderful story of a church that says we can't make it? And now we had Carlos Asasaga, who was sitting right here in front of Neil, he is part of receiving the funds from that church to help plant Luminous City Church in San Diego. That's a great story, too. So it's win-win. Doesn't matter which way it goes, it's a win-win story. Mike? Mike? Uh, I hope you can um, feel somewhat like Mark and I feel. We're CPAs and lawyers, but to partner with these men who love the kingdom like they love it, it is such a blessing uh, for us because we wind up doing more of the mechanical part of things, uh, but uh, to work with them is such a great, great blessing for us. Well, you can probably tell that it's lawyer time because there's more words on the <laughs> screen, right? <laughs> um, and, and I want to just share with you a, a little bit more. We've, we've gone through three questions. The, the fourth question that we wanted to put, and, and really what we're trying to do in these kind of sessions is we're trying to inform the church. I've, I've been in the church all of my life, and I never, ever heard a conversation until we began some of these about life cycles of churches and about renewal of churches and about, you know, are there times when churches ought to consider other options? And so just trying to get the word out to our fellowship because every one of us in this room knows of a church or two, maybe in one or two, that are on the lower end of that bell curve and, and need the kind of of help that hopefully we and others were partnering with some other groups like Hope Network and others that try to help us with the renewal part of it but um, but we want to come in and, and as these brothers have mentioned already it's not our goal to tell them what to do it's our goal just to lead them through the process so they can help make that decision and give them alternatives and help them to feel um, feel that legacy and, and want to project that legacy forward. 
rather than just have it to die uh, at, at that point. And we've, many of us have seen uh, that happen as well. But um, I wanted to, uh, the reason I put the words up here, because I don't want to forget them, but because each one of these are important, I wanted to say uh, to all of you, um, to answer this question about can a good legal structure protect the church assets? As a lawyer, let me tell you, no. I mean, I could design one that could, but that's not us. You know, that might be the Episcopalians or the Catholics or somebody. It's not us. But in the kind of fellowship that we are in, you can put a lot of words on paper, but there is no legal document that can't be changed one way or the other. And so there's just no absolute foolproof way, but you want to do the best you can. And so you work at that. So I just want to begin with that, that we can't, you know, give absolute assurance. What are some of the steps that can be taken to get us closer to a better one? Well, if you were, to, <laughs> most of the churches I wind up looking at have articles and bylaws that were done at the time the church was formed, 50, 75 years ago that weren't thinking about these issues at all. And so there's no protections in there. And you can do some protective uh, efforts in good articles and bylaws. And uh, by the way, uh, I'm going to leave a sheet of paper, a couple of sheets of paper here. If you want to get a copy of some that I think work well, about as good as you can get. Uh, put your name and email address and whatever on these uh, sheets, and and uh, let me tell me what you want uh, on that, and and I'll send that uh, to you as well. Uh, because you can do things. You you can. I I do not define the churches of Christ in any of my documents, but I will describe them. And um, in there to try to help people know the distinctions between us and perhaps others. Um, define voting rights. Uh, who, who does get to vote when it comes to property issues? What's the relative authority of elders versus trustees with regard to property issues? That's important. Most of these churches don't have elders that we're dealing with, but sometimes they do, and that's important. Voting percentages to protect the property are, are important. Uh, being in compliance with the Internal Revenue Service and with the state laws is important just because if you're not, uh, there's something called, first of all, piercing the corporate veil, which basically says every member can be sued if you haven't done these things well. And, uh, but the other is that, you know, uh, then you could have the Attorney General come in and take over if you're not complying with some of those issues. Most of us don't do that very well in our churches. That's not what we're about. But we need to be aware of that in the legal environment we live in today. Deed restrictions is a possibility. Um, they used to be used quite extensively, but today in, in the kind of legal environment that we live in, they are frowned upon a lot by the courts if they have too much religious language in them. Courts do not like to have to interpret religious language. And, uh, but we use them. I just finished using one with a church here recently that had some issues that we couldn't deal with in other ways. And so it, it is a viable uh, thing if you do it right and if you're careful how you do it. Mike, I'll throw in 
sorry, question. One of the things that I encountered when I was practicing law, and that is that the, the biggest problem that the deed restrictions we encounter is when the church is at the point of closing its doors, and suddenly you have this thing that nobody in the church is concerned about, but the finding title insurance companies that are going to pass on that, or yeah. we did a lot of things in rural Illinois on Title, yep, title insurance companies don't like the and, restrictions on getting insurance. It was one time being a minister was helpful. I could convince them finally that it was okay. But it was, it was, it was, I, I think it's better if you can do it in the... Yeah, other ways. Other ways. I, I agree. But in, in the one particular case, if I had time, it's a long story. I can tell you a case where we finally just came to this conclusion and had to do it. In, in the past, we have saved two or three congregations here in Southern California by using this kind of a technique, use a trust or a corporation that is primarily designed to hold title but has, has um, trustees or directors who are not just in that congregation but people that are respected leaders across the, the area and uh, put specific instructions in there about what can happen with the building and Usually what you do in that kind of a case is you lease it back to the church for a dollar a year and they maintain it until they can no longer do so and then you've got some protection there of other people. So that gets used. And then and, and when the last resort almost is the courts and the attorney general uh, that, that you can go there. That's not a place you want to go. It, it's a last resort. Let's go to the next one, Mark. Um, this is still on the same question we're dealing with. Um, the, some of the issues that arrive, we've, we've already mentioned personalities, you know, in a different way here about conflict that goes on uh, in so many of these churches. And, and can, you, you know people that are just into control. They're determined to control outcome. And those are some of the issues. Just the pure numbers of people. Um, some of these cases, they're down to three, four, five people in a death or two, and who comes and take, takes over? You know, a big family moves in. Uh, I, could, I could tell you another story about a congregation down in the San Diego area where a big family moved in and suddenly had majority vote in that case, and they had other intentions for the use of that property. Um, trust, I don't mean a legal trust here. I mean, do we trust one another? Uh, do we trust somebody else to help us? Uh, those are, are major issues we run into. And then certainly no one size fits all. We, everyone that we have begun to deal with or that I've ever dealt with in my lifetime, every single one is different. It has a totally different personality, just like everyone in this room has a different personality. So you look at the overall nature um, our autonomous congregations is a wonderful pattern that God has put forth for us. But too often, it leads to this, you know, where we won't even cooperate with each other, or we don't trust one another, or we won't take advice uh, from, from somewhere else, or we won't work together for a common ministry, uh, it often happens. So as I began, there's no guarantees, but... This is important, and this is why we're having this class. We want to start identifying these situations before they're too low on that bell curve. Because when they get really low, I mean, 
we all have stories, don't we? Mm -hmm. Where we cannot, where, where our efforts are almost useless by the time they get uh, too far along. Okay, Mark, let's go to the next question. Um, how might we help these congregations to preserve and protect the assets and to plan the remaining future with dignity and good, I should say dignity and good stewardship. I'm sorry, we missed a word there. Um, this is the way we do it. And we're just here to serve <coughs> and help those people. It, it takes a while for them to develop trust in us, especially when you tell them you're a lawyer. The other guys have a little more credibility, but some of us don't. Preachers aren't much better, Dad. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> we're one notch above the preachers. <laughs> yeah. uh, but we're, we're there to serve, and, and we want to, to help them come to a good conclusion, if at all possible, uh, to do that. I can tell you of, of a case that uh, the situation has gotten so bad at this particular congregation that it's former members that are trying to get us engaged in that congregation because they're so concerned and they had developed it. Most of them have gone to surrounding uh, churches, but they wound up leaving it, uh, and it is so bad at this point that it's hardly, well, it's going to probably take years, and it's probably going to go all the way to that lowest common denominator of going to the Attorney General to, to solve that one, if it, if it gets solved at all. Um, we want to educate uh, all of you and have you to share it with others and take our brochures and, and uh, direct people to our website so that they can begin to see the dangers. We don't see that till it's almost too late too often. And so while we can take action, we need to be, be doing that. So I would say even if you're in a congregation of 1,000 people or 500 people or 300 people, that's when you need to be thinking about it. I've, for years and years, I've done estate planning for people, and I tell them, you need to start while you're young and while you're vital and while you can think of these things a little less emotionally. And you need to do it when you can think of that at those times rather than wait until you know we are impaired in some fashion and cannot do that. Um, I also brought, let, go ahead and go to the next uh, slide if you want to. We won't try to go through all of these because I want to give you a few minutes to ask some questions. But uh, I did bring, and I will make these available where you can pick one up, kind of a list of all not all, because this is all we've come up with so far, but I know there will be more, uh, ways that we can try to help. And uh, again, we're all volunteers. There's only five of us on the board. We're going to expand that because there's too much work to be done. But we do have these 35 ambassadors and others that are joining us. And, um, and so th the kind of things that we can do are on this sheet and, and on those um, and on those slides. There's two or three more of those slides. I, I will not try to go through each one of those. I want to stop and, and let you ask any of us questions uh, about what we're doing and how we're doing it and how we might help be helpful to others. Let's see if you've got questions. Is there a cost to the service? There, we do not have an official 
cost of our service. What we what we do ask for churches is if they want someone like Stan or the Hope Network people to come in and counsel them about renewal or what their options are, typically we will ask that congregation to have some skin in the game and, and to pay their expenses and, and some stipend for them to come and do that. We have done some of that where there's no money and so you know we're certainly willing to do it but it's hardly fair to these volunteers uh, and, and we've tried to raise a little bit of money uh, to be able to bear some expenses for those congregations that cannot do that um, what we what we'd like to ask churches that we work with is if 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 they do wind up selling their major asset their building would they consider, it's not a requirement, but would they consider giving 10% of it or some amount of money to Heritage 21 so we'll have the money to do the, for all the expenses that we incur on all of these things. And, um, and so we've had a church to do that, which is, <coughs> is helpful uh, to us. But none of it goes out in salaries, it just goes out for, for people doing service and, and the expenses. Is that an accurate answer, boy, uh, guys? Yeah, I, I might add one piece. We because uh, we haven't really talked about what happens to funds. I guess that was yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Thinking the same thing. We have a good point. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'll just tackle that. You, you got to stand up here yeah. and let yeah. them ask you questions. Do it by the yeah. microphone here. Yeah. Uh, this is the church's money. So of course, if they sell and, and give to something else, it's someone else's money too. But <clears throat> the church that we gone full fruition with so far the Mountain Avenue Church of Christ in Tucson, Arizona um, that had asset uh, transfer back and forth, they designated where the money goes. So Heritage 21 came out of the church planning desire to see the Churches of Christ be given birth again to churches in America. So we asked, I mean, help me with the percent, 25, 20, 20% to go back into church planning in some form or fashion? What's our hope? Stand, bail me out here if I say it wrong. Twenty-five percent is what we'd like to see to encourage to go back into church planting. I don't know if y'all have new churches in your communities from any different group. The community churches, Baptists, yeah. Assemblies, yes. almost every one of those has come because mm -hmm. of repurposed repurposed churches that have closed their doors. And they put that into these new churches. We don't have a way to do that, and so that's what Heritage 21 provides. So, so we'd like to say 10% to go to Heritage 21 and help us cover cost. And 25%, we'd like to say we'd like this to go into seeing new churches in the United States being planted. Mm -hmm. And then that leaves you 30. You know, that's 35%, so the balance of it is then, are there other good works that you want to... Uh, what have you been supporting? Church camps, uh, sure. you know, scholarships, whatever, right. other things that you have done. Yeah. And, and, and want to continue that. And I'm just going to say real quick, Keith, that uh, in Europe, Mountain Avenue was taken with the idea of church planting. So almost all of the money. Some of it went most to of camp. Most of their money going church plan. Yeah, some went to the camps ministry. Most of it's in some of that money they wanted designated to start a new church in Tucson and then money to get a movement going. I think and so it's kind of, it's a little, yeah, that's your, it's church's money. Keith? I think you just answered my question. So you yeah. can restrict it to, yeah. say, yeah. the western slope or some whatever yeah. state. 
and, and the goodness is that it goes into a, a 501c3 that then has the legal ramifications. I mean, we could tell stories. Hey. All right, I'm going to tell my favorite. Here we go. Church got down to four people. Okay, four people? Okay. Their asset was worth, time, maybe 300000 something like that. And uh, pretty conservative church. You know. And they, I'll just pick on one thing. They used to preach on dancing, that dancing wasn't good. I'm not a good dancer, so I agree. <laughs> uh, well, the one guy who could make a decision died. Uh, I came back to visit him three weeks later, and they'd already rented the building to a dance studio next door. <laughs> so now the Church of Christ oh, no. is where the dance studio is. <laughs> so, you know, that might sound good, right? Except the money is going straight to the family. And so the IRS, I hope they find him someday. I'm not calling him. But they'll they'll be they're totally legal. Mm-hmm. Totally illegal. So that's totally. what we're trying to help. Not <clears throat> yeah. right. mm-hmm. totally yeah. illegal. Totally illegal. Illegal. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it can't come into your personal right. 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 Like kind to like kind. Right. Absolutely. Hey, hey, Garen. Is there a relationship between age twenty one and Kairos? Yeah. Well, it kind of sprung out of Kairos, wasn't it? it we were we were doing that, and we've decided that it's not official. But we want a bunch of it to go back into church planting and kingdom creation, right? Go back into new things. Hey, I lead a I lead a kingdom creation ministry, church planting, and church planting. It's on my brain, huh? I lead. Let's start talking and friend speak. So I'm excited someday that some church may designate some money to start new friend speak ministries. All over. We want it to be. We don't want to go into churches to remodel their bathrooms. <laughs> we want to go into the new 21st century efforts from the churches of Christ. To reach new people. Reach the good. But so officially, no, there's not. And I don't know why. If man, if you stand in the center here, you, you get to answer the question. Stan, come on up here. Anybody else take it? Thanks, Karen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Would you run those percentages for Mountain View by again as mm-hmm. exemplary? Okay, so they designated ten percent to go yes. to Heritage Twenty One. Thought that was was oh. good. All right. uh, they had a small percent that they uh, used for a campus ministry that they had been supporting and for a camp that they had been supporting. And they, they, the camp was going to put in new water tanks. So that's what they did. They put in new water tanks mm-hmm. for them. And then the rest of it, which ended up to be about um, somewhere around 85%, they said, we want that to go to new churches. And we de- they designated a certain percentage of that to fund uh, trying to get a, a church planter into Tucson, Arizona. So we're, we're in that process of, of looking yeah. for a planter for Tucson, Arizona. And then the rest of it is, uh, is available to, for other projects. Yeah. So that, that was Stan, their choice of Stan, what they decided to you do. You might talk about this, how things happen. Uh, it happened pretty fast. They signed it over in May. We listed the building, got it listed with a commercial broker July, late June. Went under contract in the fall, closed uh, January, and then within just a day, not too long after that, uh, money was going out to church plants. I guess four, is that right? Four different church plants. That money was activated almost within a year. And, and and just this is maybe more detail you want. It, that there's still money that will go to those church plants, but it's just given to them annually. Not I'm sure. it's just not just it, you know, here's your money, go for it. So it's, there's some discipline there. If that makes sense. Right. 
but it went out and got repurposed quickly. And there's the part of the story I hear is there's these church planters ready to go, but they need the they need the funds to do it, and that so that happens pretty cool. Could what happened to the members who struck the deal? Some of them went to some other churches of Christ. Uh, some went to other churches. Uh -huh. uh, as far as I know, everyone has found a church home uh, in that process. So we had a videographer come in and make a, a celebration video. You can see that on the Heritage 21 website. And that then goes to... Uh, to all the churches, the new churches, these church planters, it goes to them. We want them to know where this money has come from. Mm -hmm. And so they take it into their people and say, here's, here's, here, let me tell you the story of a church. And they get to show the Mountain Avenue video. And their church gets to say, this, this is our heritage. We do. And it's, it's just a sweet moment mm -hmm. to get to do that. And then as we had the closing ceremony, uh, we actually had the video done in time for the, the closing last day service. And uh, we had the big service and showed the video. There were 160 people there. It had been 160 people in that building for ages. But we spent all day together and had a meal. And it was wonderful. We had people from 1970 to be there and who came from all over the U.S. just to celebrate their memories together. And then to lay that lay that church down, and turn and walk away. And they said, this was great. This was a real victory for them. Adam, Adam, man, he's been waving back there for a little bit. You bet. Just, if you could skip back to slide, the third question. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to... I think we skipped the third question, didn't we? Well, we did. So well, we did. you yeah, sort of missed it. We uh, went together. Oh, so this is the, this is the shift. Right. This is the shift, mm -hmm. yeah, okay. from renewal to repurpose. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Keith, when you speak of uh, the church planning monies, uh -huh. let's say that you had a church that was dying, and I think that title might have been autopsy of a, a dead this, church or something. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah. do you, is your money to a church planning group working capital money uh, or? Are there ever instances which they're going to acquire property or what? What are you? It's, it's working capital to get it up and running. Okay. Yeah. So it doesn't go into buying land or putting up buildings or anything. So I'm wondering if um, you're selling hard assets. If, if the other thing that we could model, perhaps after our other side of the keyboard brothers, is a uh, the, the church development fund, is there any possibility? I mean, it, it seems to me that that would have some future uh, possibilities as well, where you might be able to provide down payment money or whatever. But that would be, you know, that would be a, 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 a different, different model. Yeah. But if a church wanted that, their resources to be used that way, we would try to accommodate that. That's not what we often recommend to them, uh, but, but again... Heritage 21 isn't set up to be a banking institution. Yeah. The Church yeah. Development Fund is, is a banking yeah. institution, so we're more modeled on the Bell Trust Fund, if you're familiar with that, which is for our missionary core, is almost the only place mm -hmm. where they can go for a significant amount of funding. 
and Heritage 21 can provide another of those types of opportunities. So that, that's our, our mindset rather than to use it as a banking institution. Out here, the, and maybe the best thing is to forever stay in rental properties, but it is almost impossible for a new church, church plant in the suburban area of LA to get to the point where you can do anything but that. Mm -hmm. However, I would say that in most instances, our church buildings are an albatross around our mm -hmm. neck. Many cases. Yeah. Um, so yeah. that's all I'm trying to do is see if there maybe some possibility there, not in cutting into these, but it, uh, you had the groundwork money for a church development fund or something that's we're just getting started. Well, there, the church development fund itself. We want. We're, we're it's pretty it's dedicated to getting it back out into the kingdom of God. Turning it. I get it. Hey, this may be way off track. I've I've worked with three different church mergers. That might be an area that might be considered also a part of what you're doing. Yeah. My experience has been that you know that that is a viable option sometimes for churches to think about merging but oftentimes there's real consternation about well, what do you do with the, the assets mm -hmm. and you guys have something to offer in, in addressing mm -hmm. that I really think that's something that should be considered mm -hmm. because oftentimes you, you have you may have one building or you may even have two and they're going to move to a new location build a new identity and you have assets, but often then you argue about, well, how, what do you go and how do you preserve the identity of one congregation that thinks they've totally lost their identity because they're using the other building? Just just a suggestion to consider that also in your your application of this. I guess I'd say, I think mergers, people are always thinking, what am I going to do? Where are we going to go? And uh, I think the phrase that I think through here, this is more of an art with a little science to it, but it's really art. Mm -hmm. and church, figure out what to do. Mm -hmm. That includes that conversation too. Yeah. We have about two minutes? Maybe we don't. I don't like them. Three more. Yeah. Close here. Yeah, we're close. We're we'll, we'll stay around a few minutes if some of you have more questions. And don't forget, if, if, you, if you want more, or if you know some churches that ought to be talked to, uh, uh, you know, let us know about them. Let us know. We need to know. We don't want to just go. We don't go in coal to a church and just say, hey, we're here to help you. We need people that will introduce us and say, will you talk to Heritage 21? But if you know some churches like that and want to be in touch with us, we'll put that on here. If you want those articles or bylaws, let us know that. Anything else we can do, put it on those sheets. And there's these uh, different service list of different services there if you want to pick up one as well. Thank you. You've been a great audience. Thank you.